Welcome to Called to Prosper. I'm your host, Helen Lorraine Ray, human potential strategist, life coach, and CEO of Called to Success LLC, where we help you discover your true identity so you can walk in authenticity and power to make a positive impact in your world. Whenever God moves into a new era or a new season, He disrupts the status quo. He upsets our previous frame of reference into something that at first glance doesn't always appear to measure up to what we see in the rearview mirror. Right now, we're living in a season, the pandemic, where we're looking back to how life was before this arrived. And frankly, Most of us yearn for that time. But I'm here to tell you today, everything has changed. Life after the pandemic is not going to be the same as it was before. This has become a benchmark. From now on, we'll be referencing a time that was pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. But we don't have to be concerned because... God is still in control. So on today, I want you to be encouraged because God knows what's up. Moving forward can be troubling, uncomfortable, and confusing, especially when you have no idea of what is going on or how it's going to end. What you can do is think forward, though. Let's take a look at a period of time when the children of Israel were facing a confusing situation and see how they handled it and determine what can we learn from that lesson. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 1, verses 31 through 42, if you'll turn with me. Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 42. And this is how it reads. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. 
Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, here it is. Moses, we see, is on the brink of bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's fulfilling his commission that God sent him on. And the children of Israel were poised, ready for that final move. The night before, God had sent that final plague where the firstborn of every household would die. Unless that individual happened to be in a household, usually the household of one of the children of Israel, where there was the blood of a lamb splattered over the doorpost, painted brightly, so that the angel of death would pass over. But anywhere else, Whoever was the firstborn in a household would die. From Pharaoh's palace to the most impoverished family. And here we see that the children of Israel were prepared to make the move. Their dough was not leavened. I'm sorry, their dough, yes, was not leavened because they wouldn't have time for it to rise. And they had asked of the Egyptians their masters and mistresses for gold, silver, clothing, etc., which they gave him because God gave them favor, plus all of their flocks and their herds. Now the scripture says there were 600,000 men on foot besides children. And of course, there were plenty of women And so it was a very large multitude that had all their livestock with them. And in addition, there was a mixed multitude that went with them. These were people that were Egyptians and other ethnic groups that had their own reason for leaving Egypt. Logistically, this move was complicated. It was complex. They needed the livestock to provide milk, meat, hides, and sacrifices to the Lord. 430 years they had been in Egypt. And so the current generation had no memory of ever having been free. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't really understand the concept of freedom as a people. We see that because at the first sign of trouble, they were ready to return to what was familiar, even though it meant becoming slaves again. If we look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, 
Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now here, all of a sudden, they had forgotten how hard their lives were. And just because now Pharaoh's army is pursuing them, with Pharaoh having regretted letting them go, they are now ready to turn around and go back to Egypt. Now, because they had been in Egypt so long as slaves, I dare say that they had forgotten the lesson of Lot's wife. Do you remember that whole ordeal of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family? When God was merciful to Lot, sent the angels to drag Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out of Sodom to keep them from being destroyed. And the angels literally had to drag them out of there and told them specifically not to look back. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 17, and then verse 26. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hands, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And then verse 26, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Her heart yearned for what she had just left, what was behind them, and she looked back. God is always moving forward, not backward. Had he heeded the cries of that multitude in the desert that he brought out of Egypt, he would have allowed them to return to Egypt and their history would have had a short end. They would have ended up as a footnote in the history of Egypt as just another conquered people. But God always has a better plan. We need to be like the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12.32 where we can gain an understanding of the times. And gaining an understanding of the times doesn't mean that we have a detailed explanation from the Lord. But we can recognize when God is on the move. Isaiah 43.19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Think about that for a moment. That really is hard to comprehend. God's saying, I'm going to do a new thing that you have no frame of reference for. 
that it's going to spring forth. It's going to come forth suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere. He said, and you're going to take note of it. I'm going to make a road in the wilderness. A wilderness does not have roads in it. A road is a sign of civilization. It is a sign of construction. He said, and rivers in the desert. Deserts don't have water. But God said, I'm not just going to give you a creek or a stream. He said, I'm going to create rivers in the desert. So the question is, how can we move forward when we remember what life was like before the disruption? And how can we handle it without being troubled? So let's go to the book of Ezra. It's not a book that we often examine, but it is important for us to see something that God wants us to see on today. We're going to take a look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. That's Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And at the time of the text, we find the children of, uh, of God, a group of exiles who have returned to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem has been ransacked. The children of God were taken into exile. But now, at this point, it is 50 years after the destruction of of Solomon's great, beautiful temple, that temple that that was considered to be one of the wonders of the world. 50 years later, a group of exiles have returned to Jerusalem. And the scripture picks up in the second month of the second year of the exiles' return. You see, Cyrus, king of Persia, had permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and begin to resettle the land. And so, at this moment, they are about to lay the foundation and we'll see what transpires next. Verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praying and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. We have two groups of people that have congregated together. We have 
the old men and the old people and the younger people. You see, they've been there for 50 years. So the only ones who had any memory whatsoever of what Solomon's temple had looked like were old now. They were up in their 70s. And the young people who had been born during the time of exile, during that 50-year period, they were just excited that there was a temple being built. They didn't know what the old one had been like. So the question is, when the people shouted, the old men, the old people, who knew what the former temple was like. Did they long for the old temple and the old times? Is that what they were weeping about? And the young people, did they really understand that what was happening in that moment with the, laying the foundations of the new temple was a move of God? Hmm. We must be very careful that we not get so caught up in what we consider the symbols of God's presence that we miss the move of God. Solomon's temple was a symbol of God's presence. But what was taking place in that moment with the new temple was a move of God. You see, God was not trying to remake what he allowed to be destroyed. He, instead, he was pointing the people forward to a time when his habitation would not be relegated to a physical building. In chapter 2, verse 9, the prophet Haggai wrote, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. This would have been difficult for the people to grasp. Solomon's temple was glorious in its construction. How could any temple after that compare? Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3, chapters uh Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. That's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. And it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Do not allow tradition to color your perspective on what God is doing in this hour. God is moving the body of Christ into greater revelation and transformation. Mark 2.22 says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine, must be put into new wineskins. You can try to go back to doing 
what you did before in the same way you did before. But God has moved on. You can't do those same things in the old framework. As I referred to Isaiah 43, 19 at the beginning, God is doing a new thing. We should not yearn for the old patterns and traditions. The first century Jewish believers struggled with no longer being welcome in the temples and synagogues. But God closed that that era of centering their worship life in a temple structure. The days of sacrificing animals to honor the Lord was over. John the Baptist was the last prophet of that dispensation. Instead, God proceeded with the next step in his plan of salvation, and he's doing the same now. He simply turned to the next chapter. My friend, we don't have to try to figure anything out. We need not worry. We need not feel oppressed nor in danger. Our only obligation is to trust in the Lord. Psalm 9, verses 9 through 10, is one of his precious promises. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. My friend, God has not forsaken us. And he has not mislaid us. His attention is fully focused upon us. And he knows what's up. He's got it all in control. He has simply turned to the next chapter. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds Through Christ Jesus, be blessed and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Call to Prosper podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Listener support is appreciated. Your small monthly donation each month will enable us to produce future episodes. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Be safe as you go about your day. Be kind because you never know what someone is going through. And above all, be grateful. Gratitude lifts you above the winds of adversity and propels you forward in life. Until next time, God bless. The Call to Prosper podcast is a production of Call to Success, LLC. All rights reserved.